Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, good morning, Covenant Grace, and all of you who are visiting with us. I hope that my voice holds up during this. Um, Maybe you guys can hear some scratchiness to it. Um, I'm probably going to sound a little more emotional than I actually am. I've had really crazy laryngitis for the last couple of days. And uh, it's been kind of tough with my job because uh, in my work, there's a lot of talking, a lot of phone consultations and stuff like that. So I've been the uh, creepy whispering horse vet lately. Like, hello, this is Dr. Cobb. And so I've been freaking people out with that. It's also a hardship because I'm what's called a noisy introvert, which means I really enjoy my time alone with my books and just being alone. But I also want my opinions to be heard. I also want people to listen to me. And so for a noisy introvert like myself, uh, it is hard to lose my voice because people can't hear my every thought that I want to communicate. So it's been a hardship. You guys can pray for me. Um, But let's pray before we get started here that my voice will hold up and that more importantly that the Lord will speak through his word. Father, we come before you with great anticipation. We love your word because we love you. And we know, Lord, that when we open this word that you have been so faithful week after week to speak. Lord, that you have made your presence known even under this strange situation and through this um, flawed media. Lord, you have made your presence known. You have made your presence known to your people. And we're so thankful that we know every week when we gather, even through this live stream, that we have met with the living God, that we have interacted with you. Uh, Your power has been displayed week after week. And we're also so thankful that week after week, we have felt the presence of one another. That as we are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit, each of us to Christ by the Spirit, that we are united to one another and we have a communion with the saints that is real and palpable. And we thank you, Lord, how you have not left us feeling lonely during this time, but that you've drawn near to us and you've caused the presence of one another to be felt. And so we pray, Lord, that you do that again as we open your word, that it would have the, the same effect, the same experience as being present together, Lord. We pray that you would uh, make up for all the things that we're having to endure, that you would minister to us again in the way that only you can. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So we're in uh, this series in Exodus called Freed to Follow, and we're having a great time in it. And it's been amazing how often uh, the passages we've been in have been super relevant to the time we're in. And this morning, we're gonna deal with the topic of spiritual warfare. Because Exodus 17 is a time when God's people first get attacked after they leave Egypt. So they leave Egypt, Pharaoh pursues them and all that. But after they've kind of totally been freed from Egypt, this is the first time on their journey to the promised land that they get attacked. And so we're going to talk about spiritual warfare this morning. And um, happy Mother's Day, by the way, to all of you mothers. Um, Happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, this text is actually perfect for Mother's Day. I know you're thinking like, Eric, you're doing it again. You're, you're doing some crazy message on Mother's Day. But really, the topic of spiritual warfare is perfect for Mother's Day. Trust me. And those of your moms don't have to trust me. You already know that's the case. So let's look at God's people under attack. Look at verse 8 in Exodus 17. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Um, This is the first time that the Israelites, like I said, got attacked after they fully escaped from Egypt. And it really shook them up. Uh, Remember, these people are not soldiers yet. They're just escaped slaves. 
They're not soldiers yet. And I was just meditating and I was thinking like, the Lord turns slaves into soldiers, right? Amen? We see that throughout the Bible, that the, that the Lord turns slaves into soldiers. And so this is the first attack. It's unprovoked, it looks like. It seems like it's a surprise attack. It's when they're weak and then when they're vulnerable. Deuteronomy 25 recounts this looking back and says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came up out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord of your God has given you rest from all the enemies around in the land that the Lord has given you, and he gives it to you as an inheritance to possess. You shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. And that may seem a little bit dramatic. You know, they've been attacked this one time by the Amalekites, um, by Amalek, and, and yet there's this memory. Um, but guys, the, Am the Amalekites really represent a persistent satanic threat against God's people. Um, we see them attack here, the first attack on their way to the promised land. They're trying to keep them from getting to Mount Sinai. So they're right near Sinai and they're trying to get in between them and Sinai. It was also the fear of the Amalekites among the other people of the land that kept that first generation of Israelites from entering the promised land. Remember in Numbers, they came up to the land and they saw the people of the land and they feared and they disobeyed God and wouldn't enter. And they were punished for that. And it turned a very short trip into a very long trip of 40 years of wandering. And later when the people disobeyed the Lord and they said, you know what, we will go into the promised land against what he had said. It was the Amalekites that kept them out. Centuries later, King Saul was supposed to remove the Amalekite threat, but he disobeyed the Lord. In 1 Samuel 15, he disobeyed the Lord by not finishing off the Amalekites and spared their king, Agag, who Samuel later uh, hacked into pieces um, to finish the job. King David then tried to remove the Amalekites, but some of them escaped. That's in 1 Samuel 30. And then 500 years after that, in the book of Esther, there's an Amalekite named Haman. And Haman devises this plan to, of genocide to destroy all of the Jews. We know he's an Amalekite because in Esther 3.1, it says that Haman was an Agagite, that he was actually a descendant of King Agag, that, um, that Amalekite king. And so the Jews were almost completely wiped out by the Amalekites in the book of Esther if God hadn't intervened. And so the Amalekites represent Satan's attempt to stamp out the people of God. And God promised that one day he's going to remove all of their enemies, the Amalekites, um, that that threat wouldn't last forever. But for now, the war continues and the battle is on. Look at verse 8 again. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go and fight Amalek. Now, this is the first mention of Joshua. And his name brings up a lot of thoughts, right, for those who have read through Scripture in that his name reminds us that there's going to be tons of battles that Israel's going to have to go through as they inherit the promised land. That it's not going to every time be a simple waving of Moses' staff and they're able to just walk in in peace. It's really interesting when you think about it, how the Lord gave the Israelites the promised land. I mean, he promised it to them as a gift in Exodus 3.8. He said, I have come down and delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out to the land, to a good land, a broad land, flowing with milk and honey. So it's a promised land. It's a land that's theirs. It's a gift from God. It's grace. And yet the path to the promised land is filled with battles. The Lord is not just going to have 
them come into the promised land with a simple waving of the staff and, and they walk in in peace. Why is that? Why doesn't the Lord allow for them to have just smooth travel straight to the promised land? And I think it's because God wants his people to learn to trust him and to rely on his strength, not their own. Remember, every time they fought relying on the Lord's power, their enemies would flee from them. It'd just be a few of them, and the massive enemies would flee every time they trusted in the Lord. But every time they fought in their own strength, what happened? The opposite happened. Even a small army of their enemies could cause all of them to flee. And that's what's happening here, guys, in this really strange chapter in verse 8. It says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. You can imagine Joshua going, Okay, cool, that sounds good. Sounds like a good plan. And then in verse 9, it says, Moses said, Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. You can imagine Joshua going like, um, That's weird. You know, so you're not going to be down fighting with us? You're going, to, you're going to go up on the hill. I mean, I don't really have any experience in warfare, but I'm pretty sure that's not the way it's done. So Moses, are you just, you're going to, you're going to watch or what? Like, you're not going to join us? Take a look at verse 10. So Joshua did what Moses told him and fought Amalek while Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on the top of the mountain. Now, whenever Moses held uh, up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took all uh, a stone and put it under him, and he sat down while Aaron and Hur held up his arms on either side. So his hands were steadied until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Oh, what's Moses doing here? Now, the, the text never says specifically that Moses is praying here, but I think that's the closest thing that we could attribute this to, is this is for us, this would be analogous to prayer. And that posture of your hands up like this is a classic Semitic way to pray. Um, the typical way wasn't like this, like we often do, but to put your hands up when you pray. And Moses, in this posture, is calling upon God's power to deliver them from their enemies. If you look at verse 15, Moses built an altar and called the place, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. That term banner has military overtones. Those would be like the military standards that they would carry into war. And in verse 16, Moses calls what he was doing with his hands up, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. Isn't that a cool way to think of prayer? That when you pray, you're putting a hand upon the throne of the Lord. You're calling upon his strength. Um, Moses, as their mediator, was calling upon God to fight for them. Can you imagine how encouraging it was as they're fighting down in the battle there with the Amalekites? And they look up and they see Moses with his hands up, the same one that God used to part the Red Sea, with his hands up, receiving power from God for them. And this text, guys, is relevant to us as well. And maybe you've already felt that as I've just said what I've said. Um, this text is relevant to us because we too are under attack. Um, our enemies, though, are not people. They're powers. Take a look at Ephesians 6. It's worth turning there because I'm going to come back and forth from there. But Ephesians 6.12 says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So we're in a battle too. Our Amalekites are spiritual though. Our Amalekites are demonic forces, forces of evil coming against us. 
Um, there is a spiritual battle that you're in. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, there is a spiritual battle you're in with evil forces all the time, whether you're aware of it or not. And the problem is so many of us are so unaware of it, but you need to be aware of it. And, and like the Amalekites, those powers of evil are going to attack subtly and by surprise and when you're weak and when you're weary. Second Corinthians 2.11, Paul warns us not to be outwitted by Satan or ignorant of his designs. To not be outwitted by him or ignorant of his designs. How many of you could confess that that's been you? You've been outwitted by him. You've been ignorant of his devices. And I just want to warn you guys this morning, don't be oblivious to his attacks. And his attacks often happen in, in your unbiblical thinking, right? Maybe it, it, his attack is, is in you right now through your persistent anger. Or maybe through that resentment that you nurse. Or maybe it's that attraction that you have to somebody that's not your spouse. Um, maybe it's disunity with other believers. Uh, maybe it's your angry obsession with current events. Um, maybe it's irritation with your family. You know, these are attacks. These are the Amalekites, right? These are your spiritual enemies attacking you when you're unaware and you're weary. Gandalf, I love this quote by Gandalf. Gandalf said to Theoden, and he said this, too long you have sat in shadows and trusted to twisted tales and crooked promptings. Is that you? Is that you? Have you, have you during this time um, become isolated? I mean, I know we're supposed to do social distancing, but that doesn't mean you have to be socially isolated. There's no reason you have to be socially isolated from the church, from your Christian friends. But you may be like Theoden. Gandalf said this, too long you have sat in shadows, trusted to twisted tales and crooked promptings, right? The enemy is at work in your mind. And maybe he's at work in your mind in other ways. Like maybe it's a persistent judgmental spirit. Maybe it's lustful desire. Maybe it's lingering doubts. These are his work, right? Don't be ignorant of his designs. What if it's moral confusion? It used to be so black and white and now everything to you is gray. Why is that? Twisted thoughts, twisted promptings. Maybe it's those sudden senses of panic that come upon you and you don't recognize those as an attack. Or maybe it's that sudden darkness that just fills you all of a sudden and leaves you in despair. Or maybe it's your cravings for an old addiction or your quarrelsome spirit. Guys, that's spiritual warfare. You're under attack. Ephesians 4.27 says, give no opportunity to the devil. And so I just say, I plead with you right now, reach out to somebody in the church. Ask for help to get back in the fight. Fathers, husbands, you can't afford to be passive when the enemy comes for your marriage and your family, right? You can't afford to be passive. If you had literal Amalekites at your door, I, I guarantee you, you'd grab your gun, you'd grab whatever else you have, and you'd take care of business. And yet, so often, fathers, husbands, tend to be passive when they know that their marriage and their family is under spiritual attack. Don't be passive. Like the Israelites, you're under attack. Like them, you have to fight. The Lord is turning slaves into soldiers. Don't think like a slave. Think like a soldier. But like the Israelites, you have to fight in the Lord's power, not your own. Amen. Take a look at Ephesians 6 again. Verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, 
Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you may be able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Guys, spend some time in that passage. If you're under attack, spend some time with a friend in prayer in that passage. Notice the emphasis on relying on the Lord's power, not your own. We, like the Israelites, must fight in God's strength not our own. Remember, whenever they fought in their own strength, they got slaughtered. <laughs> and whenever they fought in the Lord's strength, they had victory. And so I just challenge you, are you oblivious to the spiritual war you're in? Well, I hope you're not now. You shouldn't be now. You should be awake, right? Awake to it. Are you refusing to fight? It's common with men, especially passivity. Are you refusing to fight? God turns slaves into soldiers. That's what you are. Are you trying to fight in your own strength? That would be the next problem. Without the armor of God in Ephesians 6. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that person will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Especially notice, guys, in Ephesians 6, this emphasis on prayer. And we too must call upon God's strength every moment to withstand the assaults of the enemy. Like Moses We'll see God's power in our lives when we lay hold of his power, as we lay hold of his throne in prayer, right? And there's a couple of things. Go back to Exodus 17. There's a couple of things I can give you real quick that are kind of really helpful things about prayer from Exodus 17. First one is prayer is real work. Look at verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. Um, it could look to Joshua and the others like Moses is trying to avoid the real work of the battle, right? But guys, prayer was the real work of the battle. The prayer was de decisive. Prayer is real work. The hill of prayer is where the battle is won. And I think for a lot of us, we don't get that. We don't get that an hour in prayer would be worth more than an hour doing just about anything else, right? That's where the real battle is won. So first, prayer is real work. Also, prayer is hard work. I love in verse 12, Moses' hands grew weary. I mean, how many of us can relate to that? How many of you find sustained, consistent prayer hard? I do. I find it hard. For most of us, prayer is not easy. And then thirdly, prayer is teamwork. So it's real work. It's hard work. It's teamwork. Look at verse 12. When Moses' hands grew weary, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his arms, one on each side. And the other on the other side, so that his hands were steadied until the going down of the sun. I just love that Moses had the help of others to persist in prayer. He could lean on him. Guys, so many of you in our church have been amazing examples to me of prayer. I'm not the strongest prayer in our church by a long shot. So many of you have been such great examples to me 
of persistence in prayer. I can lean on you. And I'll tell you, the last few weeks, I've had so many great long spiritual talks um, in prayer during the season. So many long spiritual talks with you guys and, and, and spending time in prayer. And I've been able to lean on you. And I'm just super thankful for that. Super, super thankful for the body to lean on. Let me ask you this, guys. How many of you have had good, long spiritual talks in prayer lately? Let me ask you this. How many long, good spiritual talks in prayer have you had with other people in the church this week? Okay, if the answer is zero, you're at risk. Um, how many have you had in the last two weeks or three weeks? You need, to, you need the body, right? You need the body. I need the body. And there's no reason, guys, for you to feel spiritually isolated during this time, um, or to be even socially isolated during this time. I don't feel isolated at all, to be honest with you. I feel no isolation. I'd love to see you guys physically, but I am not experiencing any social or spiritual isolation. Um, you have a phone. You have an available church body. If you're sinking, if you're surrounded by Amalekites at your door, if they're coming for you or your marriage or your home, it's 100% on you to reach out, okay? I don't know how much clearer I could be on that. If you're sinking, if the Amalekites have you surrounded, if you relate to a lot of those spiritual attacks and you feel like you're being taken down, it is 100% on you to reach out. You are in such a great church, guys, to get the kind of help Moses did, to have your hands held up for you, to be able to lean on somebody, to be able to, and it would be their pleasure to do so. A lot of times people are like, oh, I don't want to bother anybody. You know, I know people are busy. They're not right now, by the way, most of them. Um, and it would be an honor. These guys were honored to hold Moses' hands up. Are you kidding me? They're not like, oh, he should hold his own hands up. It's like, no, there was an honor. It would be an honor for people in our church to come alongside you. If you don't have somebody to talk to, let me know, and I will make sure that happens. So prayer is real work, hard work, teamwork. And lastly, prayer is the mediator's work. It's the mediator's work. Guys, Moses here isn't acting like a regular believer, okay? Moses isn't even a pastor here. Guys, Moses is not a pastor here. Moses is the people's mediator. It's a very special redemptive you know, office that he had. Nobody today has the office of Moses. Nobody has the role of Moses. Moses was their mediator between them and God. And guys, wouldn't it be just a tremendous comfort for Joshua and all those who are in the battle to see their mediator, Moses, the man of God, holding his hands up to the throne of God receiving power? You know, the one who met with God face to face and they, they knew him and they could speak to him. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to text him and say, hey, Moses, next time you're talking to God and face to face with him, hey, could you ask him for this? Could you ask him for that? Like that'd be encouraging. But guys, today there is nobody that is your mediator, a mere human that is your mediator on earth. No mere humans fill that role today. Not pastors, nobody, right? But we have someone better. We have someone better than Moses praying for us. We have a better mediator. We have a mediator who is both man and God. <laughs> what better mediator could you have between God and man than a, 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 one who is both man and God? He is God and man. He's a better mediator than Moses. He's a better mediator than Moses because he prays not on a hill, but he prays in heaven for you. And he doesn't just have his hand on the throne for you. He's seated on the throne for you. And we're going to celebrate that in two weeks at Ascension Sunday. But he is seated on the throne for you. He prays from the throne of God, right? And he never tires 
of praying for you. It's not like Moses where he's like, oh, I'm so worn out. Jesus never tires of praying for you. Like, take a look at Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That means prayer. He always lives to pray for you. He prays specifically for you. He prays by name for you. He's your intercessor. Robert Murray McChain, he lived in the 1800s. He said this, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. When you're in the battle, you can look up by faith and see Jesus on that hill praying for you. Um, and that's the confidence we have, guys, in this mediator, Jesus Christ. Sometimes when people talk about spiritual warfare, um, you, you sense a lot of fear on them, you know? They're very fearful in the way that they speak of spiritual warfare, as if the outcome of the war could go either way. But look again at Hebrews 7, uh, 25. It says, consequently, Jesus is what? He's able to save to the utmost <laughs> those who draw near to him through God. Have you drawn near to, G to God through Jesus Christ? Is he your mediator? Have you trusted in him? Is he the mediator between you and God? If he is, he will save you to the utmost. Jesus, the mediator, pulls down all the resources of heaven to fight for you. He will save you to the utmost. Jesus is the entire reason we can be 100% confident that we will make it safely to the true promised land. Jesus is the reason that Peter did. Um, Peter was attacked by all the forces of darkness, and yet it was Jesus' prayer that spared him. Luke twenty two thirty one 31 says this, Simon, Simon, behold, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demands to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that, when your, faith, that your faith will not fail. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. Isn't that amazing? It was Jesus' prayer, his intercession for Peter that made sure that he made it safely to the true promised land. And those same hands pray for you every day, every hour, every minute. Jesus can be that mediator for you. Have you trusted in him? And the reason why Jesus can be that mediator for you in heaven is because he was first your mediator on earth. Like Moses, Jesus ascended a hill to win the battle for his people, didn't he? Like Moses, Jesus ascended a hill to win the battle for his people. And he did it not to pray with hands lifted high, but to die with hands outstretched on the cross. On the cross, on that hill, Jesus Christ, with his arms outstretched, took all your sin to give you all his righteousness so that he could pull down all the resources of heaven for you to fight for you. Jesus has already fought, guys, the decisive battle that has won the war. And so we live in a time now, it's kind of a strange time. We live in a time that's similar to the time between D-Day in World War II and V-Day. So D-Day, June 6, 1944, the Allies stormed the shores of Normandy and they won this decisive battle. That It was just a matter of time before the Germans were going down after that. That's D-Day. And then, but there was a whole year almost, it was May 8th. 1945, when the Germans finally surrendered. By the way, this last Friday was the 75th anniversary of V-Day. And so we live in a time similar to the time between D-Day, the battle has been won, that means the war is won, and the time when the enemy is finally removed, that finally uh, surrenders, right? We live in that time in between D-Day and V-Day. We live in a time between Jesus' decisive victory on the cross over Satan, D-Day, and the time when Satan will be finally thrown into the lake of fire, V-Day. Guys, victory is inevitable. 
But the battles are going to be fierce still, right? And as they were in World War II. And Satan rages on. He sows confusion and division and suspicion and bitterness and temptation and doubts. He's probably trying to sow it in you right now. He's probably trying to sow it in your family right now. Um, but Satan knows, guys, that he's going to lose in the end. He knows he's going to lose. We know that from Revelation 12. He knows he's going to lose. But like a suicide bomber, guys, Satan wants to take down as many people with him as possible. He attacks us. But guys, we know his power is crumbling, don't we? We know, like Jesus said, that the strong man has been bound and his house is being plundered. His power is crumbling. V-Day is coming. Our Amalekite harassment will end. In the meantime, what do we need to do? We've got to be vigilant. We've got to fight in the Lord's strength. And then we need to remember that he has already won the war for us. And in Exodus 17, it's really cool because they remembered the power of God and the victory of God as they continued. They remembered it in two ways, a scroll and an altar. Take a look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. And I will utterly blot out the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and he called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. So they do two things to remember the power and the victory of God. So they'll remember to rely on his strength and have that hope that like victory is assured. What were the two things? They had a scroll. They wrote down his faithfulness. Now, let me ask you this. Do you record God's faithfulness to you? Do you have a scroll? <laughs> Do you have a place that you write down answered prayer? Do you have a place that you write down how the Lord has fought for you? How he's given you victory in the past? Um, I have a little book for that. It's, um, it's uh, what I've got in here is I've got like a, uh, passages on prayer and things that kind of get me uh, thinking about prayer. I've got the names of all of you guys in here. And then I've got um, evidences of God's uh, work in the church. And so every time we have like an answer to prayer for healing or some other answer to prayer that's, that's impressive, amazing, I write it down in here and it just reminds me. It's a scroll, right? But ultimately we have this scroll. <laughs> we have the word of God. We have this book. It's a record of God's faithfulness. And as you look through either a book that you wrote here, or more importantly, this book, you will see over and over again God's faithfulness and it'll build up your faith. We trust God because he's trustworthy. We have faith in God because he's shown himself to be faithful. Amen. The other thing that they did is they set up an altar. Now, this isn't a sacrificial altar. You don't see him doing a sacrifice. This is a memorial altar. This is a, uh, and they do this multiple times. This is the first time Moses does it here. But they make these memorial altars. It was a tangible reminder of God's faithfulness so that when they walk by it in the future and they saw that altar, they could remember the faithfulness of God. Guys, the Lord's Supper is one of those tangible reminders, isn't it? If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, I'd like to invite you after these next couple worship songs to have that tangible reminder. It's a reminder we can smell and feel and taste. It's a tangible reminder of God's victory for us, of his faithfulness to us. In the Lord's Supper, we remember our mediator, Jesus Christ, with his arms outstretched on that cross on the hill. The bread is his broken body. The cup is his shed blood. In the Lord's Supper, our hearts feed on him and are strengthened to continue fighting the good fight. In the Lord's Supper, we look forward to V-Day, when we will gather around his table and celebrate his victory with a meal. It's coming soon. Let's pray. I have you guys pray with me Psalm 27. I've customized it a little bit to make it a prayer, but this is Psalm 27. Let's pray. 
Father, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You are the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war break out against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked that I would seek after, that I may dwell in your house all the days of my life, to gaze upon your beauty and to inquire in your temple. For you, for you will not hide your face from me in a time of trouble. You will be my shelter in a day of trouble. You will conceal me under the covering of your tent. You will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted upon, up above my enemies all around. And I will offer in your tent sacrifices and shouts of joy and praise. I will sing and make melody to you. Hear, O Lord, I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and my mother have forsaken me, you will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they speak out murderous and violent threats. I believe that I shall look upon your goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Father, we do wait for you. We trust in you. We know that you'll never leave us or forsake us. We have even more confidence in that than the psalmist did because of Jesus Christ, that you have committed to us, that you wage the war for us, that your victory is our victory. And Lord, help us to remember that. In all the struggles and difficulties in head and all the frustrations and all the places that we have been very disappointed in the way that we've responded, in the ways that we have been outwitted by the enemy, Lord, we pray that you would remind us that the victory is yours and that we would um, wage war in your strength, not against people, but against the powers of evil, the things that attack us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just read that last part to you real quick. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You are no longer a slave. In his strength and with the help of his people, I challenge you, soldier on. Amen? Amen. Let's worship and take the Lord's Supper together. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.